Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space podcast. I'm your host, Mark Shapiro. Before we get to today's episode, a thank you to Lori Bedke and Creighton University for sponsoring this episode. Creighton University believes in equipping physicians for success in the exam room, the operating room, and the boardroom. If you want to increase your business acumen, deepen your leadership knowledge, and earn your seat at the table, then Creighton's healthcare executive education is for you. Specifically tailored to busy physicians, our hybrid programs blend the richness of on-campus residencies with the flexibility of online learning. Earn a Creighton University Executive MBA degree in 18 months or complete the non-degree Executive Fellowship in six months. Visit www.creighton.edu backslash C-H-E-E to learn more. Thank you also to Care Align for sponsoring this episode. Are you looking for a better way to keep track of your clinical team tasks so things don't fall through the cracks? Check out Caroline, a HIPAA-compliant digital workspace built specifically for clinical teams. It works on any device and with any electronic health record. Caroline cuts documentation time in half, reduces errors, and saves clinicians an hour a day. Caroline is currently offering the platform for free to the first 100 clinicians who sign up on their new direct-to-clinician platform. Visit www.carealign.ai backslash explore to learn more. My guest in this episode is Dr. Ali Raja. Dr. Raja is the Executive Vice Chair of the Department of Emergency Medicine at Massachusetts General Hospital. He's a professor of emergency medicine, and he was recently named the inaugural Mooney Reed Endowed Chair at Harvard Medical School. He's also a veteran of the United States Air Force and a highly sought-after expert on a wide variety of topics. He and I have been circling each other, I would say, for almost two years to come on Explore the Space podcast, and it was more fun and more engaging and exciting than I ever expected. It was an absolute blast. We got into the subject of intellectual curiosity, how to harness it, how it can feed into leadership and mentorship, so much good stuff around this huge subject of being intellectually curious, and it was just an absolute blast to speak with him. And I must be said, there are some premium fashion tips. Dr. Raja is our sartorial expert on med Twitter And it was really fun to talk about getting ready for my first date night with my wife coming out of the pandemic and how to put on nice clothes again. This was a blast of an episode. I think you're going to really enjoy listening to it. Please remember to subscribe to Explore the Space podcast on whatever platform you're listening to this episode. That really helps us out. Leave that five-star rating and review as well. Again, really, really helps the show out. You can email me anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. Hit me on Twitter at ETS show. And please do check out the whole archive of Explore the Space podcast at www.explorethespaceshow.com. This is episode number 233 in the archive. I still can't get over that number. It's, it's, it's incredible. So please do look through the archive too. Lots of evergreen content in there. Lots of great stuff with the most amazing people. Speaking of amazing people, having Dr. Raja on Explore the Space was an absolute treat. You're going to really enjoy this. So without further ado, Dr. Ali Raja. Ali, welcome to Explore the Space podcast. This is great. Thank you for coming on. Oh, Mark, thank you for having me. I've been wanting to do this for so long. I think we started talking about this a year or two ago, and we finally got together. So thank you for having me on. Totally. It was before the pandemic, and and we were talking about holding out so we could actually do it in person. 
And then the pandemic hit and it was like, well, we're not going to do this in person. And I remember we were DMing back and forth a few months ago. We said, forget it. Let's just, we might be able to do it in person, but it won't be till next year. And that's too long. Let's just go for it. That's right. Do you remember back before, if we can think back before the pandemic to when the only thing limiting us from being in person was just the next time that I could get to the West Coast or the next time that you could get to the East Coast. We just figured uh, it'll be a couple of months and then the pandemic hit. It's so funny that you say that, like the the barriers to travel. Were like, OK, how many frequent flyer miles do I have? Right. Can I can I get to that flight on time? Can I, I where's my bag? hun? Can you help me find my my overnight bag? That was like it. <laughs> there wasn't much else. Nope. And now I, you know, I haven't been on a plane since maybe, I don't know, December, November of 2019. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think the last time I was on a plane was October of 2019. And and I think this is a fun place to start because it's, you know, it's mid-May things are opening up for all kind of of the right reasons in my region. And I think in your region and lots of parts of the United States where we look at our COVID data and we can say we can start to do things a little differently. I'm vaccinated. My wife is vaccinated. We're planning our first date night. I'm super excited. It's going to be a blast. Oh, man. I, I'm excited for you. That sounds fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. We had this Twitter thread a few months ago, and I don't remember how it started, but we we got into this idea of what are the right accessories to wear. And it was mostly men that were on this part, but I, I know that there were women and people who were non-binary that were weighing in as well. And it was really fun. I, this is the one about fashion, if I remember right. And exactly. We were like, what are the right ex- input from everybody all across the spectrum? And I learned a ton on that. I learned a ton, too. And one of the things that I learned as well is that you are a man who knows how to dress for an occasion. And so I want to start with, all right, I don't remember how this stuff works. Like, if you're thinking to yourself, date night with the wife, it's been over a year Walk us through the essentials. I've seen you. I've seen you on video. We haven't met yet, but I know you are a man who knows how to kind of walk through this process. Take us through the mindset of like getting ready to go back out in the world, looking and feeling your best. Well, Dr. Shapiro, let me tell you this. (laughs) I am happy to be your sartorial guide here. The huge caveat that my standards have dropped a lot over the past year or so. I remember I actually was known as the attending who would show up to my shifts in the emergency department with a shirt and tie under my white coat. Uh, My white coats are generally cleaned or dry cleaned in between shifts, even if I'm working back-to-back shifts, I'll have extra white coats ready to go. And I tell you, I've worn scrubs for the past year and a half because of all the PPE that needs to be donned and doffed. And I, most days, don't even wear pants if I'm at home. So I'll try to offer what advice I can. But I can tell you, just thinking about finally going on a date night with my wife as well, she's not going to care what you're wearing. (laughs) As long as you are wearing clothes that will allow you to leave the house and get her out of the house, she gets you out of the house. I don't know if you have kids at home or not, but but uh, hopefully you uh, have somebody watching them. If you do, if you don't, even better, because getting a babysitter right now is impossible. But my number one tip to you right now is just get out of the house. It doesn't matter what you wear. I like that. I, I, I like that a lot. And we do have some childcare set up. So that's why we're actually able to go and do this. I do remember, though, I, I liked how I would feel with like a nice button up shirt and jeans and things. But the thing that I think is fun is what are the things that you like to add? 
What are the, the nice little touches? They don't even have to be the expensive ones, but what are the little touches that you like to add on an accessory and some sort of an, like a, an ornament where your wife says, Oh, okay. That's cool. That I like that. That was a good one. Well, you know, and this is, this is completely personal style for me, but for me, it is cufflinks and the handkerchief in the jacket pocket. Doesn't okay. always even have to have a tie, bow tie, regular tie, no tie at all. But the handkerchief actually makes it. And my wife over the past few years has been getting me handkerchiefs with classic, really just fine but somewhat obscure works of art on them. And so that when I pull them out, and I make sure that we actually use them. They're not there just to be seen. But if we end up using them, it's it's great to just be able to pull them out, take a look at what's on there. And it's just a good reminder of of the last time she got me a present. So for me, it's handkerchiefs and, and, uh, and cufflinks. I don't know. What is it for you? I love the handkerchief. I don't wear sport coats as much. And that's one of the things that I think I actually want to get back to because it's not overdressed. It's just, they look great. And I like, I have a couple of handkerchiefs that go in the pocket and I, the ones that I have that my wife have pretty much either helped me pick out or has gotten me. They're just big colors. They're bold colors. And I like, yeah, I just like that. It's, it kind of catches the eye. I don't know if it means I'm kind of a narcissist and I want people to look at me. I hope that's not what it means. (laughs) But I like that big pop of color. The other thing that I really am getting back into is just wearing a simple wristwatch. I don't have fancy wristwatches. They're like, you know, just the watches that I've had for a long time. But I don't wear one anymore because I've got my phone in my pocket. And what I'm finding is if I have a wristwatch, it takes away the need for me to look at my phone. And if I'm on a date, I don't want to be looking at my phone. If I'm with my wife, I don't want to look at my phone. And if it's like, hey, what time is it? Oh, well, look, look what I have on my wrist. I have this timepiece. I can tell the time on my wrist and not have to get my phone out. The other one that I have is I have, um, it's again, it's not an expensive thing. It was a gift from a friend, but I have a pocket watch on a chain and that's pretty dope. You break out the pocket watch, you click the button, it opens the face is this beautiful purple. That's pretty cool. I like that one. I do. That's great advice for me. And you know, I've got an Apple watch and it tells me the time, but it's also a huge distraction. And so you're yeah. right. I think that I will probably start switching back now that we're going back out. Now that I actually hopefully will be able to get out on some date nights with my wife. I'll actually switch back to the regular, the regular analog watch that I used to wear all the time before Apple changed my life with its Apple watch, because then I'm not going to be glancing at my wrist every time somebody texts me from work. Exactly. That's a great point. Exactly. The other thing that the fun YouTube deep dive that I've been enjoying is looking at all of these executive watches that I will never be able to afford and I would never buy, (laughs) but they are spectacular. And it's these like the new Rolex, the new Patek Philippe. I mean, these things are absolutely extraordinary. You can see why people kind of covet them. Um, they are heroically expensive, but it's fun. It's it's a good well, deep dive. Clearly, and I'm speaking in um, in early May. You clearly did not invest enough in Dogecoin or <laughs> or Bitcoin in January of this year. If you're not ex- uh, able to afford Patek Philippe's. Yeah, no, I did not. I, my uh, my Ethereum count is uh, is low, but I, I think it's probably <laughs> for the best. The, yeah, the next time you come on, we can talk about all of this stuff. Should we be doing Explore the Space NFTs? I have no idea. I barely even know what that stands for. No, I, I, I think this is good, though. And the idea of it is it helps the mindset, right? If we're going to start to go out again, we want to feel right. And the, the way we do it is going to be different for everyone. But I think it's fair to say that physicians, nurses, healthcare professionals, we've been through the ringer. We've been through the crucible for sure. We're still in it in a lot of ways, but if we can do things that refresh us, 
let's do them at the top of our game and to think about this stuff again. Like, what do I have in my closet that when I put it on, I feel really good. And the person that I'm with will think it looks nice and it's, it'll be a fun topic of whatever. I, I like getting back into that mindset. I think it's really healthy. I completely agree. And that applies to whatever it is that we used to enjoy doing. My, um, my kids love sports. And so baseball season just started back up and the nine-year-old is out there playing baseball and, you know, they haven't done much for the past year, year and a half, and he's woefully out of practice, but we're going to hit the batting cage this weekend. We're going to get out there and he's passionate about being good again at what he used to do. And I think we all need a little bit of that. Oh, I love that. Getting good again at what we used to do. Oh my gosh. That's, that's, that's the title of this episode. <laughs> That's perfect. I love it. That's true, though. I mean, it's a. Lo- it almost feels luxurious to even say it out loud. Like, oh my gosh, right? What? What Are we did allowed we used to do that? Yeah. Time. Do we have? Do we have the mental bandwidth? Are we allowed to feel good about the things that used to make us happy, given everything we've all been through, and quite honestly given what other parts of the world are still going through? Are still going, and that's the thing. It's that situational awareness. I mean, we're still attuned to that. I do think, though, I think it is important that given this opportunity, given this luxury, I think it is important that we take advantage of it and that we should support each other and say, good for you, um, not maybe make people feel that they shouldn't do it or feel guilty about it, and certainly not compare ourselves to others. If people start to do the luxurious vacations and we're not, like my wife and I, did, like we're not doing that kind of thing for a while. Like This is why I'm not on Instagram, because I end up comparing myself to others and it makes me feel rotten. I don't like it. I like to just say, this is what we're going to do, but it feels really good. I mean, we've picked our restaurant. It's right down the road. We're going to have a nice meal. We're going to come home and chill out. It's going to be great. And I can't wait. We haven't done it in over a year. Well, congratulations. I'm really happy for you folks. And, uh, and I'm, I'm a little bit jealous and that just motivates me to try to find a good time for us to go back out on a date night as well. Exactly. You're not just here to help me figure out my wardrobe and to help understand though, this idea of kind of contextually where we are. One of the things that fascinates me about you is, you know, I've, I've come to follow your career. It's been what, four years, give or take. Right. And there's a topic and it comes up on the show a lot. And I like that it comes up a lot. And I like that it applies to a lot of our guests. You are a mid-career physician. You are already at the level of a full professor of emergency medicine. You do lots of different things. In all of that, you are still as you were when you were in college and when you were in medical school, you are still pluripotent. You still have this broad range of skills. You do lots of different things. And I like that. And I think it's important that we call that sort of thing out. But one of the things that I find interesting about you in that work is you still have a sense. And and I get the sense that it's almost growing the, the intellectual curiosity the sense of adventure that comes with continuing to learn and to do different things with your learning. How would you assess your level of intellectual curiosity in reference maybe to where you were five, 10, 15 years ago? It's a great question, Mark. I completely agree. And I'm, I'm fascinated that you were able to pick up on that because we know each other and we know each other via Twitter and we've, we've chatted via Twitter, but we've never actually met. But I completely agree with you that I think my intellectual curiosity is only growing. And, and part of that is because of the fact that my bandwidth for allowing it to grow has grown over the past few years. I have more room to be intellectually curious because 
I'm no longer in training. I'm no longer trying to get promoted. I'm no longer uh, changing my kids' diapers. My, you know, my boys are now nine and seven, and they are also intellectually curious and interested in learning new things. And so when they want to learn how to solve a Rubik's Cube, we can watch videos together. We can, and also there's so many fascinating new tools. So we bought this this Rubik's Cube that basically it's electronic and it links to your iPad and it helps once you've got it all mixed up, it will actually show you the steps to guide you to take it back to its original state, which was the reason wow. I gave up on Rubik's Cubes so many times 40 years ago when I first got one, right? I so, could never solve them. Yeah, for sure. And the tools for learning are so much more advanced now and they, they appeal to those of us who didn't learn via classical techniques. So now I've got I've got this keyboard that lights up and shows me which key to play next to help me learn to play the piano instead of the, uh, you know, the, the, the classic piano teacher hitting your hand with a ruler when you get things wrong. And so the fact is that there's all these new ways of learning that seem to appeal to me and seem to appeal to a lot of people that allow us to keep learning even beyond the time when we used to believe that you couldn't teach an old dog new tricks. Another YouTube deep dive that's a fun one is to watch the Rubik's Cube speed challenges. Yes, they're amazing. Oh, those kids are superheroes. And you see them do it with two hands and they just they sort of glance around at the cube to see what the setup is. And then they'll close their eyes. Yeah, they'll have one or two cubes in one or both hands and they'll just be solving them. And it's mind boggling. We're we're not there. In fact, we are not even close to there. But it's just fun to be able to do something like that with my kids. Totally, totally agree. Do you find, though, that it's instinctive or is it something that you have to be conscious of, push yourself, discipline yourself? Or is it again, it's just it's just happening because the bandwidth is there now, Mark, I'm I am uh, for better or for worse. If I could, I would absolutely grab a bunch of chocolate, some milk most nights or some wine on some nights, depending on the day and sit in front of Netflix and just watch a bunch of really fascinating Netflix reality TV. And what I try to do is I try to push myself to not do that. In fact, I can't think of the last time I actually did that unless my wife and I found a show that we really liked. But I I purposely try to learn something new. I've got a list of things that I want to learn more about, whether it is getting more into Spanish, whether it is taking up another martial art, whether it is learning how to actually play some of the sports that my kids really know so that I can play them later on in life with them, um, whether it's learning another language or there's a million topics that I want to learn more about. For example, I, I really regret not being better at coding and my kids are doing that now. And I see the, the residents and the junior faculty who can code really well and are designing these fantastic apps for our department. And I'm at the point where I can sponsor them and I can mentor them, but if I actually knew how to do that myself, I could have a ton of fun. There is so much out there that we all can learn now that doesn't take nearly as long to learn as it used to. But I think we have to be somewhat rigorous about our approach to purposefully taking on new things every few months or every few years. Every few months sounds a little daunting. <laughs> I won't lie to you, but I do agree with you with the, the concept that for me, the, the intellectual curiosity is this show. You know, and I get to talk to people such as yourself or your colleague, Renee Solace. You know, we had that. She came on and we talked about climate change. She's an international expert in climate. This sort of thing for me really suits that need. And it also allows 
that sense of ownership and I wouldn't say expertise, but that sense of working towards something where you're not a dilettante, where you're not just kind of trying it and say, yeah, I do this thing where you kind of don't. Um, and there's, I think, a fine line to be found in that space of being intellectually curious and pursuing something vigorously uh, or, or not. And for me, the barrier is trying something new and not being good at it immediately. Oh, right. oh my, if I'm not good at it immediately, I immediately want to not do it anymore. And that's, that's, that's not the point. It isn't. And that is a big hurdle to get past. And I think that's one of the things. So I tend to view things and I don't know if you do this at all, but I tend to view things now in the lens of I'm a parent. How can I teach my kids about this yeah. and teaching them to not be afraid of failure and teaching them not to be afraid of looking bad in front of their friends and laughing off whatever difficulties they're having, I think is exceptionally important. I, I never grew up playing golf and uh, I have some friends locally who play golf and there's a golf course nearby. And over the past couple of years, I've taken up the sport of golf. I have my own set of clubs for what that's worth. Right. And I, I still look like a fool when I'm out there. And yet I go out there with a group of friends that's supportive and they're all much better than me, but I feel comfortable shanking the balls in front of them because every now and then I hit a fantastic shot and they're really supportive. And over time, what I've done is I've actually shared with my kids the fact that I feel some trepidation. I feel some anxiety. I talk to them about the fact that I'm going to go out there and play today. And I'm really afraid that I'm going to screw things up and that people might laugh at me. And now one's nine and one is seven. They're actually being fantastic about giving me advice about what to do, telling me how to take some deep breaths to calm down, reminding me that these people are my friends and that they're not going to laugh at me. And that even if they do, that I can laugh with them. And sometimes it's worth laughing in it yourself. And, and hearing my boys give me advice about my own anxiety makes me confident that when later on in life, or even now they're dealing with it, hopefully they'll be able to reach for that advice themselves. I like this idea of being transparent as a, as sort of rocket fuel to continue doing it. And also as a skill, and I, as I'm hearing you say, like, I think, I think that that's actually been critically important for me. And I think a lot of us gravitate to that, that when we take on something new and we share the adventure with others, first of all, we're involving them in a way that is, you know, kind of open and honest. Uh, I think it also helps keep us accountable because they'll check in and say, Hey, how's it going with that right. thing? And it's nice to be able to say, Oh, I'm still working at it. I'm, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm still working at it. And I think it can also be a form of like entertainment and gratification for other people, which I think is like why a lot of us kind of enjoy being on Twitter and talking about this stuff. Like, hey, I'm training for a marathon. Check it out. Here's a thread about my this is an, about my first time water skiing or whatever the case may be. I think we can involve others in ways that we maybe couldn't before or didn't understand how to before. And I know for me, I think that that's a really powerful tool. My son is starting to get to that place where he is also kind of wading into stuff and I want to do it together. The idea that he and I get to do all of the activities that you are laying out together. I just, I can, can't, can't even contain myself. It is, it is pretty amazing, it, but it's possible obviously even without being a parent. And it's just, this is something that we can make innate in ourselves. But as you pointed out, there's a level of transparency that you have to be willing to share with others. If all you yeah. do is post on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook about the fantastic things you're doing. If I talk about the fact that um, I've been doing this martial art Krav Maga for the past four or five years and I'm pretty good at it. Now, if all I did was talk about how great I was at that, 
and wasn't transparent about the fact that I, you know, really stunk on the golf course recently, or I, I couldn't solve this Rubik's cube or whatever the new thing was, then I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be being honest with my friends and my family and whoever I would basically just be showing off. And that part of social media doesn't actually allow you to grow. It just allows you to be the person that I don't think any one of us want to be, but we see plenty of people being anyway. First of all, you do Krav Maga. Yeah, everybody needs a martial art hobby of some sort, That's I believe, so great. whether it's whether it's, uh, you know, whether it's Kempo Karate like my kids or whether it's Tai Chi or whether it's um, whether it is, uh, you know, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Uh, it's good to just have some movement. Uh, that's so cool. But I, I do like the idea, though, of if we're sharing what we're doing, if we're sharing our intellectual curiosity and our intellectual pursuits, part of the responsibility that comes with it is to show the whole self. And we talk about this like on I think one of the cool things about the community that we're in on 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 Twitter specifically with that, you know, the hashtag med Twitter is we talk about how, look, physicians are whole people. We laugh, we cry, we grieve, we celebrate, we swear, we drink alcohol, we travel, we party. We're not the stoic, you know, robots that sometimes we are either perceived as or want to put out into the world. And I think part of reinforcing this idea of we are whole people is sharing how we struggle how we try Krav Maga for the first time and it is a train wreck and we do it again or how we try golf for the first time or tennis and or, or jogging or race walking or whatever the case may be a Rubik's cubes. And it's great, but mixing the whole journey in that it's the journey, not the outcome I think is, is what will keep it sustainable and rewarding. You're right. And, and allowing that vulnerability, right? Brene Brown talks about being a vulnerable leader and acknowledging your own vulnerability, and in some cases, acknowledging the fact that you can't fix things yourself. You're getting counseling. You're getting help when things start getting really down. We are allowed to do that as physicians, as healthcare professionals in general. And fortunately, that's been the one. There's been a few silver linings over the past year and a half, but that has really shown among above really all others. The fact that we're allowed to say this is getting to be a bit much. I need some help. And, and we're all willing to say that and acknowledge it and then get the help that maybe we were having to get in secret before is one of the few upsides to all this. I feel like you and I could do a full, like two hours of how about this activity? How about that activity? Oh, I've done this. Oh yeah. That's so we could like, and I failed horribly at that. For example, right, right. You brought up water skiing. I can't yeah. do it. I have tried that. I'm from Texas. There's no water around. <laughs> and, uh, and I've tried that and I just go down. I don't know how. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, we could do that though, but I think it's also important for people like you and I to have that check where we also say, you know what? The box of chocolates and Netflix and chill is also okay. And my wife has been really good at that. Like Mark, you are supercharged. It is okay to not be supercharged. It is okay to do a YouTube deep dive and watch people open packs of baseball cards for like as much time as you need to. That's fine. And that is also a skill that I am learning. And I'm not good at that yet. Where we say, you do, I don't need to always be pursuing something. It is okay for the, call it a pursuit, to be sitting on the couch and doing the, the scrolling through Netflix to find something to watch for 45 minutes and that in itself becomes the activity, that that is okay. And and that is a skill that I'm actually trying to understand better 
of how it fits into my life because when it when I do it kind of on my own terms, I also feel good and relaxed and better for lack of a better term. I couldn't have said it better myself. I I have a problem with that. We'll be sitting there and scrolling through Netflix, which is apparently a thing on both coasts. And <laughs> as my wife is scrolling through, I will invariably pull out my phone and start checking emails. And I'm I'm so not in the moment until we find something and I'll I'll watch it with her. But that that task of finding something still seems to me like time that I should be spending doing something else. And that is wrong. And I need to be better at that. And you're absolutely right. My intellectual curiosity right now is steering towards the sort of the, the self-care aspect. Uh, you know, I'm, I just turned 45. There's there we've been through a, a tough stretch and there will be tough stretches to come. Figuring out how to better take care of myself and try things that I haven't tried before, either because of lack of familiarity or fear of failure or whatever the case, but pushing into those boundaries with that same sense of intellectual curiosity. That's that's been my thing recently, and I'm I'm really enjoying it. Things like you mentioned a martial arts, so I'm trying to do more regular stretching. I, I I tinker and I dabble and I never dive in, but I want to get better at meditating, at journaling, at right. introspection, at calmness. Not my forte, not my strength at all. No, and you know, I am I am not good at introspection either. I bought a lifetime membership to Headspace a few years ago and occasionally I will use it to meditate, but I've, I think I've used it 30 times over the past two or three years. What I tried recently is our, our younger son recently got diagnosed with ADHD. And it was pretty obvious that he was having some some issues at school and we got him a neuropsychological evaluation and and he is he is firmly in the ADHD category and we've started working with a counselor and an occupational therapist and that's all going really well and he's really getting a lot better. But what it prompted me to do is get my own neuropsych evaluation, which taught me a ton of stuff about me and I, I absolutely understand that there's a level of privilege to this because those are not cheap and most insurance plans don't cover them. But if you are willing to not only be introspective, but actually have somebody else put you through some neuropsychological tests to find out what works for you and what you are not good at, which I learned, you know, there's a lot of things that I am not as good as I used to be at doing. And maybe I was never good at them and I've just been compensating for them my whole life. But I learned a lot about what I can and can't do. And, and it was worth it for me who is not good at introspection to have somebody else evaluate me. That is an interesting challenge, and I'm going to have to give that a little bit of thought because that also sounds like that sounds scary. But also, oh, it was. Uh, yeah, yeah. How does this all then? How does this work around intellectual curiosity and introspection and seeking out these challenges and and seeking to get better? How does this translate into leading and mentoring? Because that's a huge part of your professional work. And, and it will be for the rest of your career and beyond, not, not just as a parent, but as, as teaching faculty at a major medical center on the East coast, as a full professor of emergency medicine, as all, as a scholar, as all of these different things, how does this milieu of introspection and intellectual curiosity feed into the craft of leading and mentoring? Mark, we're at a time right now where we are really acknowledging the diversity of thought that is necessary to lead, to mentor, to sponsor, to coach well. And it's not the classic 
basic structure that's taught at places like Wharton or at Harvard Business School. Not that there's anything wrong with either of those two places, but it there's a lot of different ways to lead and to manage people. And the number of books, the number of podcasts out there about this grow exponentially every year. Uh, and I think trying to keep up with all those could be a full-time job. So what I try to do in that regard is I try to, in order to be a better leader of people, which involves listening and learning from them oftentimes just as much as it may involve mentoring or guiding them, I try to train to get better at that. I go to the Krav Maga Dojo two or three times a week. I try to make sure that I listen to podcasts about or read a book or at the very le at least read one of those book summaries that's available online about leadership or coaching or mentoring every week. And over the past few years, I've actually decided to go back to school and get a PhD in business so that I can learn about how to be a better leader and research how to be a better leader. And that came about because of the fact that I was reading all of these books and listening to all of these podcasts and sort of doing it haphazardly. And I decided that like many other things, like for example, if I'm going to be learning Krav Maga or if I'm going to be learning how to play golf, I will find somebody who is really good and pay them a little bit of money to teach me Well, I'm doing the same thing here. I'm finding professors who are good and paying them some money and more than a little bit to teach me how they train the current generation of leaders and managers and scholars in leadership and management. And so that's what I do is that I am blessed and fortunate enough to be at the point in my career where while I'm still an academic physician and don't make a ton of money, I make more money than the vast majority of people in the world. And I can use some of that money to pay for the education to teach me to be a better leader and manager. Do you use that then for the journey or do you use it because it's going to get you to an outcome? Great question. I, I use it for the journey. I'm yeah. past the point where, uh, don't get me wrong, it's, it's going to be fantastic to eventually get this PhD, but I'm already a full professor. I'm already at, a, at Harvard. I'm already teaching at Mass General. There's no way, there's no way that this degree is going to get me that I'm not already going. But if all I did was rest on my laurels and use the education that I've already gained, I'd be out of date in the next five or 10 years. And I wouldn't be doing right by the residents and faculty who are 20 years, oh my gosh, 20 years in some cases behind me now. When you see the journeys that they are on, in terms of career development, personal development, you know, finding joy, dealing with failure. Do you see them using the levers that you are role modeling, coaching and mentoring, or are you drawing skills from them, acknowledging that they train differently and they understand that they're better at coding, right? Like you said, or is it a mix? Is there, is there a kind of a bi-directional nature to that? It's definitely bi-directional. I and you and others in our positions are allowed to bring experience to the table. We've been through the situations that they've been through or that they're going through. We've been through them before. And we've also talked to folks who have been through them countless times. But they're bringing a level of a level of transparency, a level of um, acknowledgement of our differences and the otherness that we often feel they're just bringing a level of intellectual honesty and transparency that we weren't allowed to have or to share or to even give to others younger than us 10 or 20 years ago. We just, we sucked it up and we just did what we were told. 
And now we understand how damaging that really was and that we can still give great care to our patients and we can also take care of ourselves. But in order to do that, we have to be much more honest with each other than we ever were. And if you get to your shift in the emergency department and you are just your your tank of human kindness is exhausted because of whatever is going on in your life. It is much better. We understand now it's much better to be honest with your team and just say, look, I'm dealing with a bunch of stuff at home. I am cranky and ornery and I am my gut right now is going to be to yell at people and I am not going to do that. But if you see me edging towards that, I need you to call me out on it. I need you to pull me aside and talk to me because that's how I'm feeling. Whereas in the past, the other, the older, well, who knows, maybe even me a few years ago, I would have just not said anything. And then I would have been ornery and cranky and yelled at somebody. And it would have been all because of me, not because of them. And now we're at a point where we can actually hopefully be honest and share in a way that we never would have before. That dynamic, I've been on the other side of it in both directions where I have been ornery and cranky and have gotten angry and not had not been transparent in upstream of that to try to prevent it. And I've also been on the receiving end as well. And then asked the person after the fact, cause it was, you know, it's been a, it's actually interesting. One of the episodes in the archive was with an old friend of mine. And we talked about an episode he and I had when we worked together where he got angry with me at work and I called him that night and I was like, Hey man, what's going on? Are you okay? Cause that was not okay. You can't talk to me like that. And it actually turned into a really fruitful conversation. That I would say is one of the places in our profession in terms of culture. There's a lot of opportunities for improvement, but that's a huge one. The before the day starts team briefing of what's the workload for the day? Where where are where is everyone? How are we deploying our resources? All of that sort of thing. Okay, how is everyone doing? <laughs> Who needs support today? And doing it in a way where people can be honest and say, you know what, I actually feel really good. Like if someone needs help, like come and grab me. I'm feeling pretty fortified. I'm doing well. And the other person can say, I, I, for whatever reason, I'm today is I'm it's it's a tough one. And I just look out for me and let's take a, whatever it is. That is an opportunity for our profession to normalize that sort of dynamic because we're not there. No, we're not. And and you're absolutely right. We need to get there. And I think we both can acknowledge that we're doing this from a little bit of a of a um, we're doing this as older men who, when we are allowed, when we go so far as to say that we're running, our tank is running empty and we're feeling a little cranky, people are willing to uh, forgive us and acknowledge our weakness there. Whereas a younger woman, especially a younger woman of color who does that is maybe not going to get that reception, right? She might be seen as weak instead. And we need to be changing our culture as I know you are and you firmly believe that we need to be changing our culture so that when any of us say that, we are welcomed and able to say that honestly and and that we are not seen as any weaker or worse, but we're definitely not there as a, as a profession. There are plenty of us who can't do what you and I are talking about right now because we will be perceived negatively or they will be perceived negatively when they do that. I'm glad you called that out because I am still in a place as a 45-year-old white male physician where I feel uncomfortable saying out loud in a in a in a group at work that hey my tank is empty I'm I'm cranky today I need some backup. I can't imagine how difficult it is right. for someone that doesn't look and sound like me to do that and that's the work that's the challenge because we really are starting in a place where we haven't done this before. I have never seen that behavior role modeled in my career ever. That's just that's just the way I, I came up, and I came up through major programs. Never ever was it role modeled. I, I 
and, and it, it's kind of boy it speaking of intellectual curiosity right that's where we can apply some of this stuff because it it's it's a huge part of our profession getting healthy after what's just happened acknowledging that none of us are okay and moving forward in a way that's sustainable absolutely so moving forward where do people follow you where do people get the opportunity to learn from you and acknowledging that you have read many of the books on leadership that are out there one of them that you would say if you're starting out or if you're already on a leadership journey it must be in the back pocket that's you know that thank you for asking i i actually am not uh, that active in places where people can follow me i am on twitter and if you're curious about the things that i tweet about please feel free to follow me on twitter at ali raja underscore md and then in terms of books there are so many but i mentioned her earlier and i think that if you're going to pick one read Brene brown's dare to lead and I think that a lot of people have, but if you haven't, please do. And if you already have, pick up your old copy or open up your Kindle and read it again, because there is so much in there that I learn every time. I think I've read it three or four times so far, every time I pick it up. I'm going to reread it. It's been a while. And I'll, uh, the context in which I, the context in which you read these books is always important to what's yep. going on in your life. What are you doing? We've just, I, I have certainly didn't read it during the pandemic. And now that we're on it in it just in a different place with the COVID-19 pandemic, I think it's the right time to read it. Can I give you mine? Please. I would love that. Crucial conversations. That's mine. Oh, so important. You're absolutely right. I think, you know, my wife is getting a master's in education right now, and they actually sent her a copy of Crucial Conversations before she started. And that was the one book of pre-reading. Thank you for reminding me. Wow. On my shelf. I wish I had been given that book in either medical school or residency. I think it should just be required reading because Absolutely. then also we're also using the same template. When, when we start using those strategies, people will recognize it if they're all kind of singing off the same sheet of music. Uh, but that book changed my life. I use those skills every day. My wife read it. My parent, I gave my parents copies. I gave my best friend a copy. The book is uh, for me, it's just been transformative and I loved it. Absolutely. This was equally wonderful. And I'm so glad that this finally worked out. We will meet in person. I cannot wait. It will happen sometime in the future. But uh, Ali, this was really a treat, man. Thank you for being patient in this actually finally happening. And thank you so much for coming on and sharing just so much of this wonderful, refreshing, restorative stuff that now we can take as we move forward into the challenges of 2021 and whatever's coming next. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. This was something I had been looking forward to for so long, almost as much as I'm sure you've been looking forward to your date night, which is <laughs> totally. I can't wait to do this again with you one day. We will definitely do it again. Ali, thank you, man. Thanks, Mark. My thanks once again to Dr. Roger for joining me on Explore the Space podcast. An absolute blast to have him on. Definitely follow him on Twitter as well. And as we do start to kind of open things up in the United States and we start to think about traveling and going to conferences, I cannot wait to actually get to meet him and so many of you as well. It's going to just be an absolute highlight of the next, hopefully, 12 to 18 months. My thanks also to Lori Bedke and Creighton University for sponsoring this episode of Explore the Space podcast. Learn more about Creighton's Executive MBA and Executive Fellowship programs at www.creighton.edu backslash C-H-E-E. Thanks as well to Caroline for sponsoring this episode. 
Check out Care Align for HIPAA compliant checklists and coordinated handoffs for your entire care team. Care Align is currently offering the platform for free to the first 100 clinicians who sign up on their new direct to clinician platform. Visit www.carealign.ai backslash explore to save your spot. And my thanks to you for sure for listening. I always appreciate it. It's, it's a real gift that you spend a little bit of time here with Explore the Space, with me and with whoever's on the show. Look through the archive, look at some fun stuff, share it with your friends and your colleagues. That really helps us out. Please do leave a five-star rating and a review wherever you are listening to this episode and subscribe because we will have more great content coming soon. Email me, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. Hit me on Twitter at ETS Show. It's always a treat to hear from people who are listening to the show and who are enjoying it. We will be back soon with more great content. Until then, take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.